0: Have a little show and tell here. This um, Philip last week was speaking about praise. In fact, I was going to. This is the funny thing. In fact, I was going to tell you all about Jack Hayford, and then when he had that message, I I, uh, I said, okay, you take my Jack Hayford story, because <laughs> Jack Hayford, you know, had this. Um, he got he got called into ministers as a pastor, just like our friends this morning have, and he takes up this smallest church. Um, you know, with a lot of hope and enthusiasm, but it was so difficult and so dead and so dreary and he labored on for a while, he he thought he'd done the wrong thing (laughs) until he discovered praise. He started coming into the church where the atmosphere was heavy and dead. And he began every time he came in, just praise God and, and shout praises, call out praises. And he said it took a year Imagine that, doing it every day for a year and persevering, persevering, and he said all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. Now, what that means is he'd broken something. And from that time, church took off and it grew. He ended up with 10,000 people. That's all pretty astounding, isn't it? I did something similar years ago. We bought that hangar out at the airport. And we started business there. And there were all kinds of problems. The place was heavy. Do you know that... All of the businesses that had operated out of that hangar in living memory had all gone bankrupt. Uh, what else? There was opposition on the airfield. You talk about you talk about a, a, a society of so much gossip and judgment and and back backbiting and rumour. <laughs> there was a, there was a whole circle of it there, and then. There were at least two pastors in town jealous and it was coming to in the spirit room. There's all this stuff and I had to break it. And uh, I started going out to the hangar knowing there was a darkness to shift off the place because we took a church prayer meeting out. But I I went out there some nights when nobody was around, not a soul. Put the lights on inside, hoping no one knew I was there and started singing. And, The song that kept coming to me was one I remember from hearing in 1974. We were at the Salvation Army one Sunday night in Walls End, we were just visitors, and there was a guy there that used to get up every Sunday night for half an hour before the meeting started and lead the sing-along, and everybody would suggest their favorites, and they'd all sing heartily. And I still remember him leading this song, and it gripped me, and it went something like, you ready? Worthy of honor and worthy of power and worthy of praise is he. Worthy of honor and worthy of power and worthy of praise is he. He has redeemed me by the blood of the lamb. He set my spirit free. Worthy of honor and worthy of power and worthy of praise is he. Anyway, I got out of that hangar. And I beefed it out at the top of my lungs all over that place, in and out of airplanes, you know, hoping, hoping the airport security, in their regular checks coming around. <laughs> you know, I didn't look like an idiot, but anyway, I'm inside. Doors are all closed. But I, I did that numbers of times. I was trying to break that atmosphere. Anyway, um, you know, good things began to happen, and the very people who. Used to uh, work against us the most and judge us the most. No, they're kind of on our team now, and we've taken over their operations and their building, and things change. And we I thank God for all the successes and all the, the great staff that are there. And uh, but you know, life is full of these kinds of things. Anyway, Philip uh, brought that up last week, and the thought is, of course, in your homes. Do you remember me telling that story about 1987 when? All of a sudden one, one day I had the worst trouble of my life fall on me, and um, lies were told about me and denominational uh, officials believed it and you know I mean, all, and it went on and on and on for months and all, what, there was nothing I could do. The whole world went black. I thought I had no future, but every day I would come home and kneel at my lounge room and forgive. I just forgive and forgive and forgive. Hazel said to me one day, how can you forgive them so easily? And I said, this is the way of Christ. But there's another little element in the story. First day I came home, and many days afterwards, I first put on a record. And the record was playing, music in the background, and I let it play and play and play and play. But I was kneeling there and forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. And this is the record, except it's a double album. You know the big old LPs—they play forever. So there's two records in here. There's one over there, and there's one over there. And um, it's called "Call to War." Now, of course, it sounds aggressive, doesn't it? The "Call to War." This was a this was the big hit in those days. Came out of Hawaii from uh, David and Doug Garrett. Their, their pictures right here on the back. But "Call to War," and I know it sounds aggressive, but listen to the songs. Uh, yet starts off, it's God who trains my hands for battle and goes on, summon your power, O God. And then third one, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And fourth one, oh, magnify the Lord with me. This is mostly praise. And um, on and on. Through our God, we shall do valiantly, you know. And uh, that's just the first side. And I will give thanks to thee when you get to the second. But the last song, come down to the fourth side, very last song, Jack Hayford. Majesty. So, anyway, and that, um, you know, four months of far, Hazel's fasting, me forgiving, uh, worship in the house, and we had such a breakthrough. Jesus came and stood in the middle of us. We, we all we saw him. Uh, and, and he brought me into such power, lifted me up above all that stuff. Anyway, recommending the praise and uh, fill the house with it. And could I suggest, take the attitude, when you come Sunday, um, you get out of your car and walk and your, your foot hits the first step. What are you gonna do? Give praise to God. give thanks to God. Blessed, thank the Lord for the church, thank the Lord for Jesus. Come up those stairs, walk in that door, give thanks to God, you know? Come in here, give thanks to God. Fill this place with more and more praise and thanksgiving and your house and uh, yeah, your house too can be the Garden of Eden. I'm trying to make mine the Garden of Eden and at least this is one of the reasons I'm, I always grow flowers. Always try to have some flowers around the place because I think, right, could try and make it a king's palace you wouldn't have a king's palace without flowers, would you? Anyway, a couple of things I want to say today and I have one or two more very interesting stories to tell you. But other people's paper is uh, annoying me here. You might as well get rid of everybody else's paper, including, uh, these have been left here. It must be a gift for me. I think it was just, that's, that's just what it looks like anyway. just haven't got a pocket. You know, it's very unfortunate. So um, here we are. All right, last week, Philip spoke not only about that. He spoke about work being worship. He told us that he was referencing the Old Testament, that the same word, meaning a Hebrew word, the same word that in some verses gets translated work or similar, in other verses gets translated worship. And it's true. And you find something similar in the New Testament, which is in the Greek language. And I'll just try to show you one example, not yet, but in a minute. So he, 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 speaks about this and he, he spoke about the purpose of mankind, which he managed to mention again today plugging his own you know, wonderful message. And uh, he, he was making the point that work has a very important place in our lives serving Christ. That work is worship. He was saying these kinds of things. And uh, in fact, on the other hand, the Bible in many places speaks against laziness and um, being idle, of course, and puts a very high value on service and productivity and hard work such as the woman of virtue in Proverbs 31. So there's much of this in the Bible. But, um, in fact, here's an example from Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He says, even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There, There it is up there. However, here's the question, because we're going to take the subject a little further. Here's the question, is all work worship? All work. You can just as easily ask the question, is all worship worship? So let's give a simple answer to this if we can. Is it a question of uh, all work is acceptable to the Lord as work? Well, it's work, so therefore it's worship. Or if we put it another way, is just any work worship? Or is all work, worship is all work is all work that you do good and worthwhile in god 's eyes. So are we clear on the question? Take, consider this verse, Mark 8:36. You ready? There it is. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, if some fellow has gained the whole world, you probably figured he worked pretty hard, but didn't do him any good. He might have worked hard to help uh, do the planet some good, but it didn't do him any good. So he's, in one sense, he's fulfilled the mandate, but he's done it in a way that has cost him his soul. Oh, so there's something important here. here here's an interesting Psalm, Psalm 127. Uh, just the first two verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it labor in vain. Oh, so you can work in vain. The work will be there, but there's something wrong with the doing of it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Here it gets to the point. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. What is that all about? Does it say don't work hard? Does it mean don't work long days? No, it doesn't mean that. It means you're not meant to function out of drivenness and obligation, and you're certainly not meant to function out of a mindset that says, unless I do this, uh, we're not going to succeed, or we're not, we're not going to pay the bills, you know, or our needs will not be met. You might need to work longer hours and work harder to pay bills, but you've got to do it with a different heart. You've got to do it with a heart that says, I'm, I'm doing this under the Lord. You can do it with a thankful heart, appreciative heart. You can't do it out of striving. You can't do it out of a get rich quick scheme. You can't do it out of lust. You can't do it because, you know, I want things. In other words, heart motive, attitude. Look, it it really comes down to all of that. Uh, Here's what Jesus said, Matthew six. He said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you'll drink nor about your body what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus in saying don't take care of those things. What he's saying is, it's, "This is, this is, you're not meant to be so driven that this is the motivation of your life. You're fully anxious. You, you, uh, you, there, in other words, the heart, the human heart must be full of a sense in which I'm in submission to Christ, God is over all. I can trust him with all the issues of life. I can, I can do my work, I can pray, I can care for my family and I'll have the blessing of God in it all. And in the end, whether, whether I'm more intelligent, less intelligent, you know, whether I have two jobs or one, I'm gonna trust God to carry us through, provide for us. you will be amazed that with the right attitude, how many doors open to you, how many things fall into place and so on and so forth. Now, it comes down then to attitudes, motives, the, the real purpose of the heart. So in other words, there's a lot of work that you... What if you're an employee? What if you're an employee? Because yeah, we're saying work is worship. But what if an employee really, really despises the boss or he begrudges it, you know? What if he does what he's supposed to do, but he's dragging his feet and miserable attitude and whinge all the time and, you know, only do what you've got to do and no more and so on and so forth. You know, job's not quite finished, but five o'clock I'm going, you know, that kind of thing. So, in other words, work offered out of a lazy attitude, out of resentment, out of a grudging, out of selfishness, out of drivenness. Frankly, friends, none of that work is worship. The Bible gets more specific; it says, "Do what you do as unto the Lord, then your work is worship, and of course it 's not just work that word doesn 't mean only work; it means your service, in other words, caring about other people, helping them, lifting other one up, someone up helping the poor, you know cleaning the church for that matter, all the kind of things you do, picking up someone to bring them to church, so someone can 't get out buying their groceries for them. Basically, everything that you do in life, when it's done with the right heart for the right reasons, all of these things are worship, because you're serving the Lord as well as serving people. Now, it's, what we can say about work is, in other words, if work, if work is done out of selfishness, out of drivenness, out of a get-rich-scheme, you know, I'm doing it, but I hate the boss, if none of that is worship, let me tell you, there might be a whole lot of worship that goes on. There's not worship too, because you know, people might, um, you know, they, they might sing, they might pray, but but once again, whether it's real worship or whether it's real prayer is determined by what goes on in the heart. Now here's, um, here's an example, Luke, um, no, no, forget that one. Remember the story Jesus told about two men who went up to pray? They both prayed. But one guy was justified and the other guy wasn't justified. They both prayed. Because one, one went up with a self-satisfied attitude. Oh, Lord, I think I'm not like him. Oh, no, I think I'm doing well. He wasn't justified at all. The other guy goes up, Lord, Lord, you know, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's justified. Attitude, hard attitude is everything. You know, they say about real estate, that the, it's all about location, location, location. Well, let me tell you that when it comes to worship, service of God, your working life, your family life, it's attitude, attitude, attitude. It's a bit like flying a plane. When you, get, when you become a pilot, when you're a when student pilot, you get taught to fly this plane. The thing that you get taught about, first of all, is the attitude of the plane and you know here's the horizon and the attitude of the plane you know wings level or you're turning left or you're climbing or whatever and you're a visual pilot you have to understand the attitude of the plane because if you become an instrument pilot now you're not seeing anything just reading this you've got to you've got to understand what the attitude of the plane is from these instruments here and and get it right now let me tell you that the attitude of the plane in any given situation you know Up, down, fast, slow, always determines where that plane ends up. You know, whether it's going to end up straight into the ground, (laughs) you know, or getting where you're supposed to go, or whether it ends up over here where it's supposed to go or somewhere else. And uh, attitude. So, listen, your heart's the same. Attitude will determine in the end where you're going. And the, the, the message of Scripture is, as unto the Lord. So, Colossians 3. Find that one for us at the back, Colossians 3, verse 23. Here's the scripture on it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong, or a little warning here as well, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, for there is no favoritism. Now, the interesting thing here is if we jump back a verse we find a word to employees and then a word to bosses. Except it's in the old language of slave and master. Let me tell you that when you read the word slave or the word servant in your Bible, it's not always the same thing. Very often these were indentured laborers or under contract. So in the, in the ancient world, you might be a free man, but you've run up bills and suddenly you can't manage to pay them. You can, you can indenture yourself to, to a master that is you he pays you in other words he he buys you out he, he, and so you you sell you, you sell yourself into slavery if you like but this is indentured labor now he's paid you a sum of money you clear all your bills you're free from all of that but the contractual obligation is you now work for him he, he provides housing he provides clothes you've you got a roof over your head you eat well but you've got a job to do. So, indentured labor. And there are all kinds of forms of this. So don't, don't just assume one thing. Well, there's advice here in the Bible to these kinds of people who are stewards, servants, slaves, don't know what the form is. Now, this is very interesting to us. And there's a funny story comes out of this. Slaves, verse 22 says, so think in employees, right? Employees, obey your earthly, your boss. Obey your boss in everything and do it. Now here, look at the line. Not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Uh, th- th- here's where the funny story comes. We'll come back to that in a minute. Whatever you do, he goes on, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. And, and we read the rest already. But a couple of verses later, there's a bit we didn't read. It's the master's one, verse one of the next chapter. Master's. So think employees, think bosses. Provide your employees with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So anyway, that's it. Let's go back to this, not only when their eye is on you. Very funny story, comes out of Papua New Guinea. Now we lived in Papua New Guinea for years and this is way back in the early 80s. And uh, we were told a story, true story, uh, would I tell a lie? And comes right to the mission field. There was a, a fellow who had a plantation up in the highlands, and this is back in the days where things were a whole lot more basic, and a lot of those guys, those guys were only kind of one step out of the stone age. They're still living in villages, grass uh, grass huts, growing veggies. But you know, they'd get employed and work on plantations. You know, dig the ground or whatever. So uneducated and you know, village mind and all of that, just newly emerging. So. The boss of the plantation had a problem. He had all his employees, about 20 guys were working for him. But every time he went to town to get things he needed, while he wasn't there looking, they stopped work, down tools. They saw him coming back, oh, up the tools again. <laughs> so all of a sudden one day he, he had an idea because the guy had a glass eye. So he, he pulls out his eye and he shows them. And he says, I'm gonna put this eye right here on this post and it's gonna, when I go to town, I'm still watching you. And he goes off to town, and they're all working away, until one of them gets a bright idea, and he and he slips away, and comes right around the back of the post with a shirt and over the top from the back, ah, and they all relax and quit work, <laughs> until the boss comes back. And he can't see us now. See? <laughs> so anyway, not only with their eyes on you is the, is the moral of the story. Anyway, um, Caution's three seventeen. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, hmm. Let me take you to this, this verse. We've kind of covered that you're clear and you're clear on the need for praise. I, I think, look, Here we are, the 29th, is it the 29th today of January? This is the last Sunday of the month and it's almost the last day of the month. You think, where did January go? Like, it doesn't feel like the year started to me yet, but it's about to. Because, you know, for us Australians, summer long holiday, February, the the, the year really does get underway. One month of the 12 has just disappeared down the gurgler, it, it, it feels like. What are you going to do with the rest of the year? This to me is is a really critical point. I think 2023 is meant to be for us a really good year. No, no matter what happens in the world, like whether the world seems up or down and inflation up or down, whether the security issues are up or down, no matter what goes on, whether you're happy with the government or not, you know, um, I feel it for the church, I feel it for the body of Christ. This is gonna be a year of progress and productivity and blessing. And I think all of you need to be in a really positive frame of mind where no matter what happens around you, you confess it and say, we're in the will of God and God is blessing and be really cheerful about what this year might achieve. No no matter what the ups and downs are around you, keep keep believing he's gonna crown this year with his bounty whatever that means. And that word in scripture is spoken over every year we live. So I think even if it's a terrible year in every other way, you bear this in mind. He, I don't think there is every year actually where he's not seeking to crown your year with his bounty, but it could mean different things at different times for different people. But I really feel it meant to be been a positive mindset concerning what the Lord will do in us, in the church, for us, for the church, for the gospel this, this year. What, how are you gonna make the most of that? The goal has to be, here's here's your goal for the year. Your goal for the year has to really have have three, three things, three words, three similar things in mind. It's this, Um, alive in Christ, alive in faith and alive in prayer, uh, praise. In other words, you you want to be alive for the purpose of this year. You don't want to drift along and find the year's gone and you're you're a year older, but your life is not advanced. I think this year has to be a good year in your heart and in that sense of advancement and progress in you, in your family, in your home, in the church. How are you going to achieve that? You can't control what happens. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't predict it. Neither do you have real power over it but what you can do is you can be alive. You can be alive in Christ. You can be alive in faith and you can be alive in praise. And it just so happens that that third one, alive in praise, is the key to them all. Because if you're alive in praise, it's amazing how much it brings you alive in Christ. It's amazing what it does for your faith. It puts your faith in a place that it otherwise often isn't. So for this purpose, take a look at this scripture. This is written, there's really only one place in the Bible where this verse occurs even though Paul introduces it by saying, this is Ephesians 5.14, even though Paul introduces it by saying therefore it says. The truth is the Bible does say all of these things but not in the same place and what he's done is he's he's kinda come up with a fruit salad verse. He's picked little bits and pieces from his memory of the scripture and put them all together As if it's one statement. And for us it becomes a statement. Here's the word of the apostle giving us a verse. And why would he give us this if it wasn't needed for Christians? So he says, um, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper. Well, the Bible does say that. You can find that in the Old Testament. And in other places. And arise from the dead. And in various ways and places and Christ will shine on you. So there's the statement, Awake, o sleeper arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And this is written because very often Christians are asleep in the light. In other words, you start going through the motions. You're taking God for granted, doing what you have to do day by day, but you're not actually alive in faith. You're not actually believing. You're not actually spiritually hungry. The praise isn't on your lips because it's not in your heart. if If you can begin to fill yourself with thanksgiving and praise and get it out the mouth, it's amazing what that does to not only change atmospheres, it changes you. It brings you alive because a critical need is that you do not sleep in the light because if you sleep in the light that that sleeping like Rip Van Winkle, you just get older and older and older. And if you're blessed of God, you, you, you awaken and you're in faith somewhere, but you, wouldn't, you don't want to die and still be asleep. That's of no value to you. Awake, O oh sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. The beautiful thing is you stir yourself up with praise. Which, which then produces all kinds of faith and prayers, and suddenly you find yourself alive. It's amazing how you find the Lord doing things for you, whereas previously it all seemed to be kind of mundane. It, it brings a lot of life. Um, so important. There's the promise. You wake up, Christ will shine. I'm saying you, you come alive to praise, it will bring you alive to faith in Christ, and the power of God begins to flow and do things for you that you needed it to do, but it never quite happened before because you were asleep so it 's a year to be alive this one. I know how awful it is. you drive along you drive along the road you know you 've got wife and kids in your car, and all of a sudden you realize you had a micro sleep. Anyone ever done that didn 't ever show of hands it 's probably. You know, it's happened to me where you drive along, all of a sudden you realize you woke up from a sleep. You might've only been asleep two seconds or one second, but you realize you did and you think, man, this is the most dangerous stuff. So what do you do? You know, you pop a lolly, you get a drink, you know, <laughs> you try to stir yourself up. Well, <clears throat> you're, supposed to, you're supposed to have a break, right? You're supposed to have a break. But uh, anyway, I won't tell you what I've often done. But no, we've, I am here to tell the story, but only because I'm alive in Christ, I'd say. No, no, it's dangerous. Listen, it's, it's dangerous to fall asleep at the wheel. Let me tell you, it is dangerous to be sitting here in church fully conscious, but be asleep. It's dangerous. You need to be awake. Praise, probably more than any other key, will waken you and keep you awake and take your faith to another level altogether where you begin to see miracles. Could you start practicing the fine art when you drive in your driveway? When you walk in the door of your house, say something. you know? It helps to run off unclean spirits. It helps to make angels feel welcome. You'd be surprised what goes on unseen to you. If you'll fill your mouth with praise, you'll be awaking from your slumber. So here's Romans 13, verse 11 and 12. Is it on the screen? There it is. Besides, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. See, it is a New Testament message. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the days at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Could I uh, kind of close out with with a word about overcoming the flesh? Because if you actually go and read that passage, it will go on to have a lot to say about overcoming the flesh, not giving yourself into sins, you know, to foolish carousing and parties and sexual immorality and all the things that come from it, cleaning sin out of your life. How... How do you overcome the flesh when the innate nature of humanity is corrupt? That is, sin is natural to us. You notice you never have to teach children how to do the wrong thing. They seem to know all that all on their own. But you do have to work quite hard and over a long period of time at teaching children to do the right thing. How to think right, how to speak right, how to act correctly toward parents and adults and to their brothers and sisters and how to act around the table. And you teach them everything. And you've got to unlearn a whole lot of things, you know? They, they'll they'll quick up, pick up swearing in a blink if they hear it. Uh, correcting speech, correcting attitudes, you know? The first time in our family, I heard some child say they were bored Well, we had to do a little work on that. I banned the word. And um, I guess David was 11 or 12 or 14, but that word didn't come up. But somebody in the family said it Elizabeth, Philip, Stephen, somebody said they were bored. Ah, well, we've got matter to deal with here. Sat them all down and explained that in our family, nobody was ever bored. Not in our family, nobody ever got bored in our family. And they were not allowed to use the word. And you know what happened? By banning the word, we banned the concept. Well, the concept disappeared. And we had years and years, of wonderful. Never heard the word. And uh, like when Hayes and I got married, before we got married, we agreed all our lives, doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter how bad an argument there might be, neither of us will ever, ever, ever use the D word. Like, I should divorce you because you, you open too many doors Too many cans full of worms, even when you don't mean these things. Well, you've got to teach people this stuff. People so easily fall into sin and into foolishness. How do you overcome the innate corruption of your own nature? Here you are, you're in Christ, you're prayerful, and yet there are still things that niggle. Well, someone this week asked me a question. Someone sat me down this week to ask an important question. They said, how do you overcome a besetting sin? Now, some of you might never have heard of a besetting sin. What's a besetting sin? Well, a bes- it's very simple. A besetting sin is a sin that besets you. <laughs> I, you know, I, I read, it, there's a, a word in the dictionary that has a definition as, as good as that. In other words, it tells you nothing. I came across it the other day, <laughs> but uh, not that one and some other thing. No, it it means something that oppresses you and opposes you and it's always dragging you down and you can never seem to get rid of it. Most of us will have a bunch of sins that as we learn and grow in Christ and pray, they fall away easily. Some of them, they take a bit more prayer and perseverance, but eventually, no, they get cleaned out too. But most of us are often left with something that you, you can't get rid of easily. And you say sorry to the Lord and get His forgiveness, and then you know the next thing you know, this week you've done it again. And for some people, it might, it might be you know straightforward things like you know swearing or you know addiction to something. Addiction to gambling would be a tough one, you know that kind of thing. Alcoholism. There's some tough ones. Uh, one that is, I think, very difficult for many people and quite common is pornography. It, and it's the allure of these things. Now look, some temptations have no power at all in them. Like for example, if I'm, if I'm coming out of the supermarket checkout and, and there's all the cigarettes behind the counter locked in the cupboard. And if some unclean spirit, you know, if I get this little thought that pops in of, oh yeah, you know, buy some cigarettes, you know, have a smoke. No one will know. Well, does that ever happen? It never does. The thought never comes. And if it did, you'd think you know, some, some stupid spirit said that, you know, <laughs> he doesn't know me, right? Now, in other words, that particular thing has no allure to me at all. And they're examples of, you know, struggles with the flesh that many people might have, but totally, totally overcome for me. And for, for all of you, there would be many things like that that even though it's there, there's no appeal in it. It doesn't appeal to your flesh at all. It's long gone. And um, all of that kind of thing. And, but then there'll be some other things that, oh, you know, you, <clears throat> it suddenly stirs you up perhaps, or, or there's a bit of a desire, but it doesn't have that much power. It's, it's not hard for you to say, no, it's wrong and I'm not going there. In other words, it's genuinely a temptation, but it has no power. You have the power, it doesn't have the power even though it's a temptation and for, for many of us, those of us mature in the Lord, sexual temptation is like that. There's, um, the thought of it can sometimes hit you but you say that thing's not on, I'm not going there and in the whole course of your life you never do because it didn't have real power over you even though it had some attraction to it. You, you shut the door on it every time. But For many people, there'll be something that even though they know it's wrong and even though they keep confessing and getting forgiveness, they haven't broken it. In other words, it's got power over them. That's what the besetting sin is. How do you get rid of a besetting sin? And for some, it'll be pornography. For some, it'll be some other kind of addiction. And for some, it might be anger, you know, or some other kind of lust or... Who knows what, you know, the kind of things that come along. There's numbers of things you can do, of course. The Bible does say confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's not bad, you know, because very often when you don't talk about something, you can't bring yourself to talk about something with someone else. It's shame that's got you locked up and being able to talk to someone about it breaks the power of shame. It's amazing how sometimes that frees you up. But my method all these years has been this. If there was something that had a grip on you and you'd gone back to it again and again and, but you'd, and yet you'd kept confessing it and repenting of it, you were still in the Lord, what you had to do in the end was sit down with the Lord or get on your knees and pray that thing through until from heaven there came a, 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 a grace that broke the power of it. And I've done that with a number of things years ago. And now, admittedly, I was born and grew up in an era before pornography was a big thing. I mean, it was there, but you had to go look for it. You had to go look for a dirty magazine. There was no internet. These days, you're on the computer and the ads pop up, right? And it's very easy to, oh, if I feel the allure of that. But long before that came along, I had broken the power of pornography long before back when I was a young man, but it had to be this method because it had this drawing power. And, and there was w- within me this sense of, you, you know, you, you wanted to look, have a look at there was There was desire, so there, the thing had power and I had to break that. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you, you go a few years and it's on and off and oh, there's another failure, but in the end, you gotta break it. And the only thing you can do is come to, come to Christ and, and it requires a deeper repentance, really confess before the Lord, Lord, it is sin. And it's had a grip on my soul and I hate it. And I, I want it broken, I want it gone. But the trick here, the real key here, is that as much as you love that thing, you've got to want it gone. You've got to want it broken. And, the re- and until, until you come to that point, the thing that's holding you is that you actually love that thing. You know it's sin and you know it's wrong and you wanna get rid of it, but actually you like it. That's the problem. For many people who have a besetting sin, it's because something on the inside of them holds it. It it still reaches for it, still clings to it because it's something that somehow their corrupt nature actually likes and enjoys. That's the thing. That's why that thing has power over you still. That's the thing that has to be broken. And so it's only when you you get serious about it. Instead of it, this little Lord of, oh, you know, I've sinned again, and Lord, would you forgive me? Oh, thank you for your forgiveness. That's not enough. That little quick prayer is not enough. Just feel better. Now it's got to be a more serious prayer that says, Lord, I must be free. And get to a point of more depth of saying it's wrong, and I confess it, and Lord, I, I repent of it in Jesus' name. Lord, I want it broken. But somewhere in that prayer, you've got to find that moment where you actually do want it broken. See, this is where the heart is deceptive. Whenever the heart still somehow clings to it, you won't break it. The heart, you've got to somehow in prayer come to the place where the heart wants the thing broken. And it's what the old timers would say. Now, now listen to this. They used to say you, you, you confess your sins and you repent of them. And, and that, but they used to have a list of things. But one of the things on the list was hatred of sin. You come to the place where you hate the thing rather than love it. These are just elements. But in the end, it comes down to one simple thing. You gotta, you gotta spend time before the Lord on that thing. And at some point, grace comes and releases you. And it shifts. It shifts from being a thing that you constantly go back to because you haven't got power over it, to being something that, ah, it's still attractive, but it doesn't have power. You find the thing attractive, but you've now got the power to say, I'm not going there. And that's, what's, that's what I've been able to achieve on numbers of things. And so it then is no longer a besetting sin. And I thank God I can go day in, day out, night in, night out, and never, ever go looking for pornography or the thing comes up, you get lost. You know, It's, it's like the cigarettes. I'm not going there, thank you very much. Every one of you has got to find the victory. There's, because you, you make your service to Christ more acceptable. Acceptable service. So if on that note, we can conclude with this scripture. Uh, Romans 12 verse one and verse two. Romans 1, 12 says, I appeal to you therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. See, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, see that term spiritual worship? See that there, spiritual worship? In Greek, there's only one word. And it's the word that can be work, service, worship, but it means, in this context, it means this is your rational service. So in other words, it's not actually saying work, it's not actually saying worship, It's saying this is your rational service to God. In other words, your thinking service, your intelligence service is reasonable. It's it's reasonable of God to call you into it. It's absolutely logical and reasonable for you to walk in it. Siri, butt out. She had an an opinion anyway. Um, Rational service. So the following verse is simply this, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's have some prayer together and let's take a moment for the sake of your heart and mine, everyone's heart. Would you take a moment and confess any uncleanness any, un- any besetting sin, but any other uncleanness, we're going to, each of you before the Lord for this moment of quietness, just go ahead and bring your heart to the Lord. And Father, I pray for the heart of every person gathered today cleansing. You'd forgive our sins, wash us from all unrighteousness. And thank you for that word that you've already spoken that says, now you are clean through the word I've spoken to you. Lord, even this word being preached today is the washing of the water of the word. Wash the souls, wash the hearts, the minds, the memories, the conscience of every person here today. Wash them and make them clean. And I ask, Lord, for the power of sin to be broken. And for everyone, young and old, men and women alike, to find the power of Christ in removing the power of their sins, I pray, in Jesus' name. Every one of you now give thanks to God. Let's take a moment and lift up your heart to Him. Thank God the Father for all He's done in giving us His Son. Let us thank the Son, thank the Holy Spirit. We raise our hearts of praise to you today and give honor to your name. Remember the old song, worthy of honor, worthy of power, worthy of praise, is he. We thank you. It's Christ we lift up as Lord of our hearts and we praise God. Could I encourage all of you in the quietness of your homes, find time to pray through all your besetting sins so that your Work and your worship would be acceptable to God our Father, and I bless you in Jesus' name for this purpose. I want to add a prayer for our brother peter Pierog. Peter would you um, wherever you are you're here somewhere I know where are you standing? Just just stand for a moment, would you peter? Um, I want to pray for Peter who's had great difficulty with his eye, and um, i went I went To his house yesterday to pray, you know, really earnest prayer for him, and we're all going to pray. Nobody would like the kind of trouble he's having after that first operation, and now after a second one, all the uh, unintended consequences. And um, let's believe God for it to clear away. You you know, doctors do their best and all that's within their power to do, but sometimes they cannot actually do what is, is you know, the measure of a human need. Let's believe for Peter. I'm going to ask, I want you all to ask for the Lord in his divine power to heal Peter and set him free and deliver him from this thing. Lift your voice with me. Father, we pray for Peter. This is our brother, our beloved brother. I thank you for all the goodness that's in him. And I ask that the goodness of God would come upon him and that you would heal him and deliver him. And I rebuke the infirmity in the eye and cast it out. And I release the healing power of Jesus over peter today and command in jesus name that i be healed lord if you, you, you heal the swelling and heal all the side effects and you put your finger on that eye meet that need i pray it all settle down vision return swelling go and thank you lord for the blessing of god almighty not only that healing but all the other healings that are needed in the house Everybody now receive the blessing of God. Father, thank you for the healing power of Jesus. Place it now upon the whole congregation. Thank you. Let every need know the touch of your hand right now. Thank you for miracles. Thank you for healings. Thank you for deliverances. Holy Spirit, come rest upon the people. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I place the power of Christ, the peace of the Lord Jesus, upon your minds and your hearts, upon marriages and families, upon homes, and upon all your circumstances. I bless you, I bless your finances, I bless your neighbourhood, I bless your job, I bless your schools. May the Lord be with you and strengthen all your hands this week to do good in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we give praise to God and uh, we will quit right there. Don't forget, praise is war. Praise is war. It's what was called called a war. It's a psalm. Go right to the end of the psalms. 150, 149, it will tell you. The high praises of God are in their mouth to defeat the enemy, destroy the enemy. you find it right there. Go and look it up. Call to war. Got an old record player? (laughs) Anyway, thank you, everybody. God bless you. Morning tea time.